0: Everybody and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer.
1: Here I am. Hello. Hi,
0: Nikki Kinzer.
1: Hi, Pete Wright. How are you? Happy
0: day. I'm good. I'm good. Me too. A little, a little tired. A little tired. It's an early uh, Monday. It's a, it's a holiday for some For people. For most but people, I can't, yeah. I can't tell anymore on these holidays like, is it appropriate to work? Is it appropriate not to work? I don't know anymore. My kids are home that feels like I should support that. But I'm starting, I'm getting emails.
1: Well, well, you know what I did is I I just, I tried to make my kids feel bad for me and I'm like, yeah, you guys all get to sleep in and I have to work tomorrow. And then I'm like, and when I'm working, you all better be quiet. That's right. Uh, So yeah, no, I got no like sympathy at all. So
0: You try for the Monday morning shame and just, you you hope it squeaks by. Uh, Well, I am, uh, so we are here, we're doing our thing. I'm excited about it. We're going to talk about flow state and adhd
1: i'm excited uh, about this i was looking at the notes that because this is your show today you're well, you're we'll the see. leader you're we'll see how yeah I do. and I, I think you're gonna do a good job i'm really excited about the topic
0: well i'm excited about it too i've been percolating on it a lot uh and uh, luckily it, that's a nice i'm word. not alone percolating,
1: percolating. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: stewing percolating yeah, festering it's good no Oh, wrong Moving in the wrong direction. Anyway, before we jump in to flow state, uh, you can head over to Take Control ADHD. You can get to know us a little bit better. Listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list, and we'll send you an email every time a new episode is released. And, of course, you can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. There we go. Now, we, we open with a question. We have yes. a question. Wow. This question. If I, I cannot imagine a better person suited to address this question than you?
1: Well, thank you, I think. (laughs) Um, You know, first of all, before I answer the question, I do want to say that I think it's great when listeners um, come, you know, email us and actually come to us with these questions. And so I really encourage people to do it more because it's a nice way to open the show with a, a, a question from a listener and may have absolutely nothing to do with our topic, but I think it's great that we're touching you and making sure that we're, you know, getting the information out that you need. So I just want to say that, you know, out loud. I love that. Yeah. So you're such a better reader than me. So I'm going to have you actually read the question and then I'm going to answer it.
0: All right. All right. Well, I'll do my best. Here we go. My name is Jen, and I am a fellow Portland resident. I'm 38 years old and was diagnosed with ADHD 10 years ago. I first want to say that I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. I love you guys so much. You really have given me a lot of hope with all of your wonderful suggestions and positive dispositions. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. That's really kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm getting ready to face a major life challenge that I've never dealt with before, and I wondered if you had any advice. My husband was recently diagnosed with leukemia and has to begin cancer treatment in two weeks. The last month has been a whirlwind of doctor's visits and tests, and to add to the mix, he's being enrolled in a clinical trial, so that just makes things all the more chaotic. I'm already drowning in paperwork, and we haven't even started the actual treatments yet. Do you have any suggestions for me on how to best manage the influx of doctor visits, paperwork, etc., so that I can try to keep things straight and keep calm? In such a crazy and emotionally charged environment. Thanks so much for all you do, Jan.
1: First of all, I want to say that I'm really sorry to hear about her husband because that is devastating news for sure. Um, And, you know, I think the reason that Pete had said, well, I would be a good person to answer this is because my husband has MS, multiple sclerosis. He was diagnosed uh, a month after our wedding in 2001. And so we have certainly dealt with lots of doctor visits, uh, hip replacements, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, lots of MRIs, all kinds of stuff, yeah. right, that comes with MS and, and disability. And because you've
0: been married for how long now?
1: Um, almost 18 years.
0: 18 years. Mm-hmm. So 18 years minus two weeks. Right. You've been dealing with this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. there's definitely um, times where there's more paperwork than others, Um and he also went on disability. So when he went on disability, there was a lot of paperwork with that and a lot of unknowns. So um, I do have that in common. It, it, you know, there are two different um, situations, but both just, dis- you know, both situations are very emotionally charged. Um, and so one of the things that before I even talk to you about paperwork, Jen, I would want to say just make sure that you have a support system, not only for your husband, but also for yourself um, because this will be very difficult. This is going to be a hard process to go through. Um, and I think that one of the things that I found in my own experience is that you feel very powerless because there's just nothing you can do to help your spouse. And you see them um, hurting and you see them going through all of this, and it's just really hard. So, uh, you know, I ask that you do, you know, get your own support system and take care of you. And um, when you talk about keeping calm, that's the only way that you can really do it is making sure that you have that self care in place. So with that being said, the paperwork, Um, I'm going to share with you what we did and what we kind of continue to do Um, basically in the midst of all of it. And this was especially when he was going out on disability because we had to um, we had to get everything together. Uh, I basically took all of the paperwork, all of the bills, all of the doctor's notes, everything, and put them on our living room floor had everything hmm. out on the living room floor. And then what we did together is we started separating them into categories. And so we would have post-it notes on where certain categories went. So we would just go through the paperwork. If this was a doctor, um, if this was notes from a, a specific doctor, it went into that category. But each doctor, cause he had different doctors um, had their own category. So we didn't mix and match the doctors. Um, with that doctor that's where the appointment notes went that's where if we had questions we would put that we'd jot that down and put that there um they give you summaries you know of what the appointment was and what they found or whatever um we do that in that um category insurance was a whole different category which is uh Oh, man, that's that's hard. But I'm going to get to that in just a second. Um, But definitely have insurance in a different category Um, and then have a separate place for your bills, because bills are going to come in and they're going to be confusing and you're going to wonder, is this covered? Is it not covered? Because sometimes it says it's a bill and then sometimes there's this big thing that says this is not a bill. Then you're like, okay, then what is it? You know, so you want to put those things aside. Um, And I would say um, when you're getting your mail, You actually probably want a separate basket or something separate for you to put those bills aside so that you don't lose them. Um, We had a timeline. We had to go through and do a timeline of his symptoms and what you know, how he was diagnosed and all of this stuff. So we had to spend some time doing that. Uh, Anything that you think is important related to the doctor's appointments you want to keep together. And this is really what the point is, is that we want to have a place for the paper to go to that's all in one spot. So once you get the backlog categorized and organized, then you got to figure out where you're going to hold it. We started with a binder. Um... And this was great at first, right, because for that backlog that was all over the living room, we were able to hole punch it and put a file folder, you know, Mm -hmm. in the binder and everything. But that is not an easy thing to maintain, (laughs) You You have
0: to hole punch every time you get a new bill. And that happens a lot.
1: Yes. So what we ended up doing is we kept that binder as kind of the beginning of his journey. And then what we ended up doing is just having separate file folders in a filing cabinet that anything that came in is that that's where I dropped it. But you could use a handheld filing case that's just for your husband's paperwork. You could use a file a section like in your filing cabinet. But the the, the the thing you want to remember is you just want to keep it separate from everything else and have one place for it to go so that when you have to go back and look at it, um, then you have a place to, to do that. And you're not looking, you know, you're not, it's not scattered basically all right. over the place. Well, um, and I
0: imagine I, the, it, it can be very frustrating when you, start like accidentally mixing bills that are not related to, you know, like procedures like, oh, the cable bill. Well, you don't want that in the binder.
1: Right. That's that's exactly true. Because the thing with medical bills, too, is that, you know, they'll work out payment plans for you, too. So if you get this really large bill and you can't afford all of it at once, call them and find out what kind of payment plans you can do or what what you can work out, because Mm -hmm. then it doesn't screw up your credit. You're not, you know, you're not getting these credit uh, notices or anything like because you are really working with you're working with them you're making an effort um now, when it comes to insurance, I was lucky because I have a mother who um, spent her whole work life in the insurance industry, so she was able to kind of. Are you of, serious? I yeah. don't think I
0: knew that. was that yeah. an ace in the hole.
1: Yeah, so she really helped me kind of, you know, go through it and really understand what was being um, covered and what wasn't. If you find somebody that can help you, that's great. I mean, I had my mom, um, but mm-hmm. I would even ask, you know, call the insurance company. And ask for somebody to to walk you through this because it really does get confusing. There is like to
0: act as an advocate, yeah. right? On your behalf. Yeah.
1: Because this is the thing. Doctors and insurance, they both screw up. And so you want to make sure that you're not being overcharged anything.
0: <laughs> A what?
1: Yes. I am shocked. It's crazy. Shocked, Nikki. Yes. So it's really important when you're looking at all of this, you know, cash that could potentially be going out. That it's the right amount. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, you definitely want to double check because, yeah, they make mistakes. Um, This is the other kind of just a couple of things that I wanted to share with Jen and anybody else that's going through this type of situation. It really helps if you can have somebody else attend the major appointments with you. So not only um, her and her husband, but somebody else, too. Mm -hmm. So there were many times where we had um, either my husband's dad or um, one of my parents or I mean, we always not all the time because it wasn't always possible but when we could we would have somebody else come to the major appointments because it is so emotional and you don't hear everything you don't understand everything and Mm -hmm. so when you've got somebody else in there that can kind of ask the questions that maybe you're thinking but you don't think about them until later it can really help um so getting you know and if you don't know ask you know you're your advocate here so you got to keep asking the other thing I would want to mention is that I avoid going back to that binder. I I don't want to see it. I don't want to read it. I don't want anything to do with it because yeah. it is so hard to read. It is such a painful experience that um, I don't want to remember it. And I know that maybe that's just me living in denial. But, you know, you got to put it together we had to because of disability reasons um but you know i don't go back to it i I'm, i i don't want that you know my husband's doing good right now and
0: yeah
1: that's what well, I, I was wondering
0: to remember. if if that was sort of a part of your journey and and for jen and anybody else going through this like at what point do you simply have to find uh, for lack of a better word a dissociative state right so you can you you have to find a way to take your sort of emotional you know, presence out of it just so you can, you know, face the dragon that is all of the paperwork and the insurance and all that.
1: Well, and that's where having somebody do it with you really helps. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, having my mom do it with me and, and if I remember right, I even think my mother-in-law helped me a little bit, too. But just having um, somebody else be able to see it and go through it is just really helpful. So if she has yeah. a friend, a sister, somebody that she could... um you know, rely on to, and it doesn't have to be every single time you organize the paperwork, but just maybe like right now when you're trying to get everything together and get everything set up. Um, but, uh, it, it's, I mean, you know, you can never take the emotion out completely. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, and that's why I can't go back and read it. I just can't. It's just heartbreaking. And, uh, um,
0: right. Right. You know, especially now, as you said, now that you're at a place where, you know, things are, are okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, right yeah. now. So Okay. So there well, you go. Well, I, I hope that helps, Jen. Again, as Nikki said, thank you so much for writing and uh, for trusting us to give you a little bit of insight. Uh, I, I hope that helps, and thank you, Nikki, for, as always. I know this is a this is a subject that requires a great deal of vulnerability on your part to to talk about and be present with. So thank you um, for that. You bet. The ADHD Podcast is brought to you by you people. It is brought to you by you. The reason we can do this show week to week, year after year, is thanks to the support of you, our listeners, at patreon.com/slash the ADHD Podcast. Your direct support pays for hosting the show and equipment, but you know what? It also it helps put food on our very tables. If this show has ever touched you or helped you make a change in your life for the better, if you've ever found that you understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, please support the ADHD podcast directly through patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. You are what makes listener supported podcasting like ours work. With a few dollars a month, you can help guarantee that we continue to grow the show, add new features and invest more heavily in our community. Get started at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast today. Can we talk about hyperfocus, Nikki Kinzer?
1: Of course. I'd like to. Part of, I'd like it's to. part of ADHD, isn't it?
0: I have been, I've been really, as I said at the beginning, I've been stewing, I've been percolating, festering on this idea of hyperfocus. And because it's a thing that, uh, you know, we hear it talked about as even, um, uh, you know, as a, a, a the superhero kind of. Power. We hear it talked about. I know I have used that language in the past, and I've I've really tried over the years to to evolve the way I talk about it. Uh, not as not as a superpower. Because as a superpower, hyperfocus is disgustingly unreliable. Right? You know,
1: that's a really good point. It really is. You don't really get to choose it.
0: You don't you don't you don't get to choose it. You don't get to choose it. And it's just awful in that regard. I feel so empowered and so strong after I am able to come out of a session. You know, I'm exhausted and I'm hungry and dehydrated and it's been hours since I've thought about anything else but the thing I'm working on and I've I've finished it and I'm feeling great. And then I realized what I was doing is ridiculously (laughs) of great low utility to my life. I was not able to like I've been organizing uh, a binder or, or something that I don't even use. You know, like I've been labeling things for hours and things that I already understood. Like it's those kinds of like dumb projects that I'll get soaked in, into and and not be able to to, you know, get myself out of because of this debilitating state of, quote, superpower, superpower hyperfocus, hyper focus. And it, it just doesn't work in enough of the time consistently to, to you know, to be on par, par with like flight or laser vision, you know yeah i i want i want it to be the power of flight and and it is not the power of flight um you know, so I, I've been thinking a lot about it, and and so I started I, I, as it happened. Have percolating? You, have you
1: been percolating? Okay. I've been
0: percolating, and as it happens, uh, this book crosses my uh, desk, and it's a book that I've I've been uh, exposed to years ago uh, by a, a wonderful uh, physician who is also an OmniFocus guru who wrote this book called Creating Flow with OmniFocus, and it, it, that has nothing to do with what I want to talk about today. So I'm not going to go into that, but the word just stuck to me Mm -hmm. right this idea of creating flow with adhd right that's the experience that i want to have more often in my focus sessions right i want to feel like it is a source of energy that i can engage and disengage from with greater fluidity how do i do that Has anybody done any research on that experience? And so I began to dig, Nikki Kinzer. I began to dig.
1: And what did you find?
0: Well, this is great. It turns out i am not alone we are not alone hallelujah uh that in fact uh, many have been writing on this subject and uh, trying to figure it out there are entire wings at university medical centers that are studying hyperfocus i don't know about wings that may be a little bit generous but i have some names uh to uh, attribute to it so uh, it, the, the first thing we have to understand is that adhders uh, it, it's Not always distraction that we're dealing with. Right. And I really like the way we pivot this characterization of distraction from not just that we're not present here, but that we are actively present somewhere else in our heads. Right. Right. It is diversion. Right. Not distraction.
1: And it's usually something that you're more interested in. So there's there's the component of what you're you know, what what piques your interest.
0: Yes that's right something is peaking your interest that is not in tune with what you are supposed to be focusing mm-hmm. on and i say again supposed to be with quotes uh, because who knows if you're supposed to be focusing on that uh so what is what is at the other end of this distraction that is the big question for us and and uh, to figure out how how we can sort of change the way we we look at distraction to diversion and, and 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 can we find a way to focus that it's like you know a, a magnifying glass under the sun you know can we focus that into a point and go after some anthills like i did when i was 9 that's awful. What an awful thing children do. Thankfully, uh, I found this fellow named Leon Cao, who was a graduate student, uh, and he wrote his thesis on this very topic for his master's program. And I So I read that thesis because hyper-focus.
1: Right. And, you were very uh, and, into yeah, this research. I found some great
0: yeah. I was. I found some great resources. Uh, so uh, first, let's talk about what a flow state is. Yes. What, when I use the word flow state, what, is that, what does that conjure? Up for you?
1: Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because I wanted to read the definition to see if I was getting it right. Because you know how um, sometimes there's that expression of I'm in the flow of it, or you know, it's, I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. And we also, I mean, I just used this word I think yesterday or maybe last week workflow. I was talking uh-huh. about workflow. What is mm-hmm. the what is what are the steps that, you know, you're taking to to you get this information? And now now what what's the next step? So that's kind of how I see it. But I don't know. Well, Tell I love us. that
0: you no, I love that you use that because really uh, workflow is it's a great word to describe what it does. And I don't think enough of us really stop and focus on what that means. And, and it's a great lead in to this conversation about flow with ADHD, uh, because workflow in its purest sense is a documentation of uh, the steps to accomplish a task, right? With the f- least amount of friction in accomplishing that task.
1: That's exactly how I would define it and what I want for myself and for my clients and for my listeners. Uh huh.
0: That's right. Now, see, the problem is most of us think about workflow in terms of just the steps part, we stop at the point of friction. Right, we we just say, oh, can you just document that workflow of how you how you do this thing and get it to do that thing, uh, or how you get that TPS report filled out by everybody and all the steps that it takes to do that thing? That's a workflow. But what if if you wanted to to really make a successful workflow, you have to stop and say, where is friction introduced into this process, and how can we make it easier? Uh, to accomplish the task.
1: Right. Which is so important for the ADHD world, because as soon as you hit friction, you're going to give up on it or you're going to um, get mad at it or mad at yourself. I mean, there's so many things that can happen. So making it work and and uh getting rid of that friction, right? Making it easier somehow or simpler, simpler. Well,
0: and that's it. I've been, I've been, uh, another thing I've been kind of percolating on, I think that feeds into this is something we talked about in the ADHD book club uh, uh, several weeks back. And, and that is, you know, can I, or maybe it was a book club, I don't know. it It was one of the discord things, you know, how can I get this thing done fast enough that I'm not distracted by something else in the process, right? I have something I need to accomplish Can I do it fast enough, efficiently enough, frictionless enough that I can get it done and finish it before I'm distracted by something else? It's the race to accomplish what's in front of you. And I think about that all the time right now that, you know, is what I'm doing, am I going to successfully accomplish this thing before my brain takes me off? And oh, no, it just did. You know, there's yes, that, that feeling yeah. of, of like you just Oh, it was email challenge week three. Thank you, uh, uh, Melissa, in the, sitting in the chat room uh, auditing me. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's absolutely it was the email challenge week three. And uh, th- that's exactly what we what we want to accomplish with this. So let's back to this flow state. From a psychological perspective, this definition I, I think I'm about to read is really nice, and it was written extensively about uh, in an article in the Handbook of Positive Psychology in 1990. The doctor uh, who led this particular article, his name is Mehi Mehi, uh, and here's what he had to say about it. A psychological state of mind in which an individual becomes fully immersed in an activity with a single-minded, focused involvement and intrinsic motivation. This experience is accompanied by a feeling of joy in which one feels at one with an activity. Psychologists consider flow to be a healthy, positive experience that is beneficial to psychological well-being. And I ask my ADHDers uh, listening to this, when's the last time you felt like your hyperfocus was a healthy, positive experience that is beneficial to your psychological well-being?
1: And feeling of joy.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? Is your joy sparked? I am all up in Marie Kondo
1: right A now. A lot of people Don't even are. do me yeah. started. Oh. That might be the show next week. Who mm-hmm. knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs>
0: So that's the that that's a challenge. And so if we if we, uh, you know, in terms of definition of terms, let's just say hyper focus, uh, uh, though uh, ADHD individuals can be attention shifting, inattentive and distractive. They also display a paradoxical trait of intense mental focus on a narrow area or of interest or activity, right? A narrow area of interest or activity. This is a paradoxical trait. That is an absolutely paradoxical trait. It is the curse of ADHD, this paradox. So as it turns out here, more people are talking about this. Here's a gentleman named uh, Brandon Ashinov, who's a psychologist at University of Birmingham, who actually studies hyperfocus extensively. And he writes that it makes for this interesting paradox. It's too much focus as opposed to scattered attention span. You're focused so intently on something that no other information gets into your brain, right? And, and in the process, uh, another uh, doctor I, I read as uh, a process in di- digesting this research who said, it's like pulling it's like being pulled out of a dreamscape right when you're trying to get somebody's attention who's who's in a hyper state it's not that they don't uh like like they they're not acknowledging you in te- intentionally your words are not getting into their brain because of this dream state and and that is um you know that's a really important thing to remember i think about yourself and about you know being with others who are living in a hyper state like it it's it is a fugue state, right? You have to, it's jarring context shift to get out of it. Um, so the difference between these these two concepts, right, this focus flow state and hyperfocus, is really important. Mirta Wenderloot uh, writes that hyperfocus seems to me more like a mindless behavior, often without any real goal or useful results. It's rewarding because it feels like flow, yet the sensation seems more obsessive compulsive. The purpose, the experience and the outcome are different. It is disengaged from a target, from an objective. So, what do you see when you work with people, Nikki? Does this stuff resonate?
1: Oh, yes, of course. I mean, I think that this is, yeah, um, it's a huge part of the challenges of ADHD, and and uh, you know, a lot of what I hear is people wanting to get out of hyperfocus. They know that they're in it. They see it. They see that they're avoiding something else and getting, um, you know, sort of just taken up by something that maybe, like you said earlier, has nothing to do with anything. Um, what I think is really interesting is I, when you said you're focused so intently on something, no other information gets into your brain. I think of my college students. I work with a lot of college students. And I'm wondering um, when I hear that or when I read that, I think, gosh, that's probably how they feel in class. Right. Yes. They they know that they're supposed to get a concept. And so they're trying to get that concept into their notes or whatever. But they're so focused on that, that they're forgetting everything that's that's coming behind that statement,
0: especially because information is flowing so quickly, so
1: fast. Yeah. Um, and
0: if some other conditions aren't met. In that hyper-focus state, for example, which we'll talk about in a minute, there are conditions that if they are not met, make it even harder for you to to channel a flow state or to find a flow state and constantly feel like you're just struggling to tread water, mm-hmm. like you just can't keep up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the challenge is that we we have to find a way to come up with or build a muscle around harnessing. The appropriate sort of attention for the task that we're trying to accomplish, right? And and I think appropriateness of attention is an interesting way to talk about it. As it happens, our dear friend Dr. Mehi Cheeks and Mehi actually ha- wrote this book called Flow uh, back in the nineties, and and. What he says, I think, is really interesting. Again, this is we're looking 30-year-old information. Uh, He says that inattention disorders do not bear any relationship to flow state because a flow state requires attention. Well, yes, but is he then locking the door to to this discussion of a, of a pivoted or a, a you know, a, a diversionary kind of hyperfocus? does it mean that if you have ADHD, you'll never experience this positive sort of flow? Uh, that's a 30 year old assertion, and I wonder if the literature uh, can catch us up on this concept. Again, thankfully, It sort of does. Good. Uh, So a a later study found that nearly 30 percent of highly creative adolescents reported elevated ADHD symptoms elsewhere, but were found to have self-reported achieving the same flow state in areas and projects of great interest. Okay, interest is the first important element. We all know the perils of interest. If you're not interested in mowing the lawn, you get out the mower. You do a few stripes, right, a few passes, and then suddenly your wife comes out and she's looking at the lawn and it looks like, you know, you've just shaved a bald strip right down the middle and you've left the mower running and you're off doing something else like playing basketball. Uh, So... Uh, that that's the the sort of that's what's in my head
1: because that's what uh, you've done.
0: That's what I don't want to talk is about. Is that it. a personal experience? That? Stop. Okay. Stop probing. Sorry. This is not your <laughs> no off the rails. Right. I regret that. Sorry. So I'm just saying that, that <laughs> if that was interest, to happen, interest is imp- is an important element.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh,
0: when when distractibility sort of rears its head when it, it it comes with with a level of skill for the task is not high enough. Uh, to meet the expectations of the project, right? That's the second thing is this that your skill level is not high enough to meet the expectations of your project. So uh, I think about your students, again, who don't yet have the skills that they're trying to acquire and therefore they have this sense of their head about what they want to accomplish but they can't accomplish it yet because they're not skilled enough to do it, therefore fractured attention, right? If you have this vision of what you want to accomplish but you don't know how to get there, non adhders will create crappy but finished work, right? Mm -hmm. They get the experience of having gone through the motions. ADHDers get this sort of fractured attentive state and don't even finish the work. They don't get the valuable experience of practice that uh, non-ADHDers do. And that's another really important thing to, to think about. And don't forget time. As soon as you insert a time pressure into a project, anxiety increases and thus attentive fracture. Right, uh, right. Uh, happens again. So all of these things, sort of, are are in this giant stew of you know what does it mean to hit this flow state, and and I think that uh, our our friend Dr. Cheeks and Mehe came up with a model or a matrix that I really like, and I've been thinking about it for a couple of days. And I just want to talk through it here and see if it resonates with you and resonates with our listeners and see if we can come up with something that that might help us as, as like a model to think through how we can build a muscle to achieve flow state. What are the things that go into this? So this matrix I'm going to describe uh, and I will also put it uh, put a link to it uh, in, in the show notes that comes from his book flow. If you imagine. Uh, on the vertical axis, we have challenge, right? If we're drawing like a, a matrix, like a graph. So on the vertical axis, we have challenge, like the degree of challenge, low challenge to high challenge. And on the horizontal axis, we have skill, right? What is our skill level to, a, to uh, accomplishing the task? Low skill to high skill. Um, and in this model, there are eight um, uh, areas in the model—it's not a perfect grid. So that makes it a little bit hard. So imagine a pie that's right. just sort of laid on top of this. And if we're at the low challenge, low skill vector, that leads to an emotional response of apathy. Right. We're completely apathetic to, to what it is. we don't know how to do it. And it's really hard or, or and it's not very hard. We don't know how to do it. And it's not very challenging to us. We're apathetic to it. We yeah. just don't we don't want to do it. We're distracted. We move on. Moving. uh, uh, Let's see. Let's move uh, to the right. Um, If the if it's a medium skill uh, but low challenge, uh, then it becomes a task of boredom. Right. It's that's according to the model. It's a boring task. If it is a high skill task but low challenge, then it becomes a relaxing task. Right. It's something you are well equipped to accomplish and it's not very hard to do. Then it becomes a thing that you can start thinking about hyper focus, right i can I can do this. I can label I can label the hell out of stuff all day right. long, right. Uh, I know how to do that. I have all the equipment and I have all the you know I have everything I need. Uh, as we move up, if it's a medium challenge and a high skill that becomes a control, right something that we can control. It's something that's in starting to engage our interest. Uh, and in, in a more positive way, but we're not quite at that flow state yet moving up. If it is a low skill medium challenge, now we introduce worry, right? Right. Now we're in the anxiety zone because now I don't have the skill to accomplish what I need to do, but it's kind of hard to do it and I know I need to, to do this thing, I'm worried about the outcome, the potential outcome. If it is a high-challenge, low skill, I'm v- poorly equipped to handle this. I shouldn't be handling it at all. I don't have the skills, and it's really hard to do. We're in anxiety zone. That is an anxiety response. Uh, if it is a medium challenge and a medium skill, that's in the arousal zone. Mm, you know I like that. Right. The arousal zone. So you can... I'm getting excited about my task. You're
1: going to do that task. (laughs) You're going to get it done.
0: Now, if you take the arousal zone and the control zone right? I now have the skills that I have, that I need to accomplish the task, and it is a challenging enough task to engage my interest. That is the thing that allows us to get into the flow state. That's the final uh, state on this matrix, is the flow state. It's high skill, meaning we are actually equipped to do this thing and it is interesting enough and challenging enough for us to accomplish it. I think that's that's a really interesting thing to think about because uh, what it allows us to do is build a set of, uh, of contingent requirements to reach this flow state. If you understand what it takes to find a flow state, even if it is an understanding of finding a flow state neurotypically, at least it's possible to build a model that can help you turn hyperfocus into flow state more intentionally. I say maybe with a question mark, right? Is it possible to do this? So number one, do you have the tools required to meet the project expectations? Do you have what it takes to do it, to, to actually accomplish what it is in your head that you want to accomplish? Number two, do you have the skills required to meet the project expectations, right? Have you been trained to do what it is that you want to accomplish? Number three, do you have the interest required? To meet the project expectations? And number four, do you have the time required to meet the project expectation? The tools, the skill, the interest, and the time. If you don't have one of those things and you're going into something that you want to accomplish, what happens? Right?
1: It doesn't get Dis- done.
0: Fractured attention. You know, we have ADHD, right? So the answer to these four things at any given time, all being yes, that's probably pretty never unlikely. Happen. <laughs> it's very unlikely to happen. But I had never stepped back and looked at the contingent requirements of me finding a state of finding the zone, right? I can now go back to projects that have been troublesome to me, and I can say to myself, huh, what was I missing to get that done, right? I didn't have the tools to make it easy enough to to get this done. I didn't have the skill. I should have actually gone and trained up in a specific area before I went in. And tried to accomplish this particular thing. Uh, I, I was just not interested in it. Well, just knowing that. Is, is a powerful thing, right? Knowing that before you have to accomplish or take a test or ha- before you have to get into a class, it says, you know, I'm not interested in this generally. What do I need to do to make myself interested in it? If you're a, a student at a university, maybe you need to talk to the professor and say, look, I live with ADHD. I am not interested in this topic. And that's a recipe for disaster for me. What can we do? How can you help me, right, to find a practical, you, you know, experience with this that I just need to, to help? me engage with it in a way that's going to keep me interested. Um, that's a conversation you can have when you when you have a, a sense of what it takes to find a flow state. So I, I present all of this. It's kind of like the whole margin discussion that we had right, you know, right. months ago, right? I don't know that there's an, a, an answer, but the research is out there that says these are the four things that, that we need to actually be thinking about. We need to be conscious of the tools, the skill, the interest, and the time. And I've never looked at them in a, from the perspective of Um, you know how we approach channeling our hyper focus successfully and i'm very interested in figuring out is this a practice that we can build is this a mindfulness a self-care practice that we can build upon
1: i have so much to say (laughs) that's so positive i i love it and i think that these four questions i assume that you're gonna are you gonna put those in the show notes as well
0: absolutely Absolutely. Yeah,
1: because I, I think that what happens to a lot of my clients is they just assume that they can't get into that flow for whatever yeah. reason and they don't know why they just think that they can't right that it's just not going to happen. But what I think happens here is when you go back and you you answer these questions, it gives you at least a starting point of thinking how you can break through that limiting belief that you can't do mm-hmm. something and try to figure out you know what is missing. And how do I get that so that I can get into this, you know, flow state? Um, So I really love the awareness piece of this. I think these questions are really good to to get you started on finding out where the cracks are and, you know, how you can fill those up to get into that flow. Um, The other thing that I think is important that I see is that, you know, we're practicing skills. So you may not be... Efficient In this skill or an expert in this skill, but you're practicing it. And I think even just knowing that there may be some worry to that. There may be some anxiety to that. But again, being aware that you're in an uncomfortable zone because you're not um, as experienced as you want to be, but you're gaining that experience right yes. now. And so, you know, the more you gain it, the better, you know, the more confident you're going to feel later on. So I, I think it's a great awareness tool of kind of where you fall. What, you know, where are you on this subject or this project? Absolutely. And
0: I, I would be very interested as people start to think about this and engage in it. I'd be very interested in in sort of where the, you know, where the holes are for ADHD. Right. I mean, because so much of this was written yeah. and discussed around, you know, a flow state toward, um you know neurotypical processing and creativity well we're right. we're also striving to be able to hit a flow state of creativity right that's that's what we're trying right. to do we're trying to engage this internal uh sort of core resource of of creative problem solving to accomplish whatever task is in front of us, whether it is actually I have to label all these boxes or whether I have to, you know, do all the pre pro to launch a new podcast or to, you know, build a new widget, whatever it is, you're trying to engage mm-hmm. a creative resource. And um, so I, I, I think it's it is fascinating to see that there are so many who are actually trying to do this as well. And in my effort to distill down these four elements, I, I, you know, I'm absolutely open to things I may have missed. Uh, and so I'm, mm-hmm. I would love to hear, you know, jump in the Discord and, and um, uh, share your, your thoughts of process. What is, what's missing? How can we make it better? Uh, because I'm interested in a, in a potential model that helps us engage in ADHD flow state positively. Can we get good at this? Can we get good at this? Mm-hmm. I, I think we can. I think there, it's possible mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and there is a whole angle. Uh, that I I should at least say almost dismissively as a footnote that They've done some work, particularly on the role of medication in in finding this kind of in in hyper focus. Right. What does it actually do to help you engage? What is it blunt in the process? You know, sometimes you need a little zip, zip, zip. You know, I need to need to be able to engage that part of me and and not, um, you know, not stop and step out of, you know, that flow of energy that can come from ADHD if you have all the other pieces in place. There you go. Mm -hmm. That's what I've got.
1: I love it. Great job, well, you, Pete Good I hope good, that's good information, useful
0: for folks. Uh, and uh, please, yeah, definitely share your thoughts. Um, happy sort of holiday here in the U.S., but, but not, not really because
1: really, it will be yeah, a that's week right.
0: later. <laughs> that's right, but not really because yeah. we're we're a week late. Anyway, uh, happy Tuesday. We'll say that
1: so every Tuesday happy could be Tuesday. a holiday
0: with that mindset. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nikki Kinzer. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We absolutely appreciate your time and your attention. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on Taking a Droll, the ADHD podcast.